0: how good it is for us today to be able to assemble on an occasion like this one this first day of the week the one so often spoken of in the new testament and in fact set before us as that privileged day when we can offer worship unto god to each father in the audience happy father's day to you and we trust this day will be a day in which in part we can at least reflect on the blessing of god's fatherhood of us as well as the responsibility that's ours for us of course to be the kind of godly fathers that we should in fact be. As was mentioned already in our songs, what lovely singing. We've already been able to enjoy one with another as we are on each occasion together. It's glory for me indeed. As you think about the opportunity we each have to worship and that grand focus we all have for heaven one glorious day. This morning as we continue our brief series of lessons admittedly, We'll give some thought to another one of the vices that seems to be so prevalent in the land around us. By way of introduction, we've already looked at some of the features of this brief series. We, in fact, began to ask ourselves some notable questions about the behavior that we so often see in the world about us. Dancing, for example, and we gave some thought to that a couple of weeks ago. And as we looked at that, we noted that though the world seemed so easily supportive of it, our interest was what, saith the Scripture, Romans 4.3. And does God either directly or in principle forbid such activity? Then we looked at the way one dresses. Our most recent lesson, last Lord's Day, was that one. How should, in fact, we adorn ourselves by way of clothing? And we learned very carefully that there are many features and facets of it, but all of them surround the fact that first we should glorify God in that which we wear, and that it should in no way pose a temptation to those who may look upon that which you and I are wearing. But today, we turn to yet another question. What about gambling? What about that activity that again is so extraordinarily prevalent not only in our land, but yea, in many countries around the world, gambling. In fact, I would submit that as we start the lesson, maybe we can gain an initial feeling for just how prevalent that activity is. And then, of course, as would be our greatest interest, what does the Bible say about it? And might I point out that our approach, as has been the case in the past, will be this. Are there principles The word gamble does not occur directly anywhere in the Bible, but are there principles that govern that activity and that give us clearly what God's reaction and His impression of it is? We shall find that answer to be yes. And so with that in mind, let's do as I suggested a moment ago, attempting to set the stage, if you will, in regard to this notion of gambling. The television commercials seem so often to present it. Radio advertisements make mention of it frequently. This matter of the Tennessee Lottery and even other kinds of gambling. It in fact is highlighted as a means of quick and instant entertainment. Fun in an instant is sometimes the slogan that at least at one time the Tennessee Lottery used to advertise itself. This matter that will immediately give one a sense of high, if you will, as you scratch off numbers or as you play some other kind of game, and immediately sense, did you win or not? In fact, there was a time when free transportation would be granted, as well as some initial money if you'd make a trip to Harris, the nearest casino to us in Harrah's, the Harris Metropolis in Tunica, Mississippi. In fact, did you notice, they'll not only pay for you to come, They'll give you $50 or $100 to get you started. There is thus a grand sense of a trip, a means of a, quote, vacation, if you will. Go to this place and enjoy all the scenery as well as, of course, the inside of that casino and take in all the shows and the clubs and the other things that are available. You'll notice also on the slide, there, at least in the last dozen years or so, has been a veritable explosion in the ability to do online gambling. With the coming of the internet and now means of safe interchange of credit card numbers now, one can gamble any hour of the day or night and do so with all the character that is completely absent from such activity. It is amazing with that explosion how this now seems to be one of the most prevalent means of regular wagering and betting. But even beyond that, perhaps a definition... And then we will look at some more features and statistics in a moment. Perhaps it would be well to ask, what do we mean by gambling? Well, here is one definition that seems to me to do a pretty good job at identifying the central features of it. An activity in which money or some property is risked in an artificially created game of chance. Now, there are several features about that that should draw our attention, it would seem. But again, an activity in which money or property is risked in an artificial game of chance. Now, you'll note that it is artificial. As one lives life, for instance, that does not qualify as a risk. We all know that every time we drive on the roadway, there could be an accident, and it may not go well with us. That's not what we are, in fact, discussing as we give thought to gambling. This is an artificial game, whether it's on numbers, whether it's on who wins a sports contest, whether it's on a raffle for some article or item. It's all the same. It's an artificially created game of chance. You'll notice in light of all of that, let us come to the nation in which you and I now live, And also, of course, some of these features could well be stated of others as well. The United States of America. We have seemingly become a nation that is extremely addicted to gambling. In fact, it would seem the latest statistics I saw, Canada now goes right along with us, just not to the monetary extent that we do. The casinos that one can find in our land, be they in New Jersey, be they in Las Vegas, Mississippi or otherwise, be they on those Indian reservations out west, is irrelevant. We have so many of them. And now we notice that riverboat gambling has been overwhelmingly approved and supported in our country. Even though there are states without casinos per se, those ships along the Mississippi, there's all kinds of gambling upon many of them, there are now lotteries in almost every state. Last count I had, only six states out of 50 do not have and support a public lottery. And, of course, our state of Tennessee is also included in that number of 44 of them that do have such. Betting at the end, as well as that word, etc., remind us that at office pools, other approaches, gambling is something that is so very prevalent and exceedingly common. To highlight that, notice with me the gross gambling revenue from the year 2007. You'll notice that in excess of $92 billion in our land. That's our land only, the gross gambling revenue for that year. Now, I would point out that gross gambling revenue is all the money wagered minus all the money paid out to the winners. So that's nothing basically but sheer profit, of course, to be paid in expenditures and other things. But isn't it amazing how that has grown even since the year 1997, not far from doubling in just that short span of years. As you can see also in that, perhaps our own state of Tennessee mustn't be left out of this either. For in the year 2002 and 3, you'll notice we passed a state lottery. It was voted in over a number of times previously that it had been forbidden. It finally was passed in November of that year and somewhat hastily implemented by the March of 2003. As you know now, we are several years into that and the signs advertise the amount of money that has been paid out to education. If you've driven to Nashville lately, you know that right at the split between I-40 and I-24 is a gigantic sign with two and nine zeros following it, advertising the Tennessee Lottery. $2 billion paid to education since its inception in 2003, touting it as a proper and good and rightful and completely approved thing to do. Our question now, of course, must be this. The world we know accepts it, approves it, endorses it, and seems happy to play it. But what does God say about it? In fact, beginning on this slide, what saith the Scripture... That haunting question of Romans 4 verse 3 never ceases to be pertinent and never ceases to be needed. Our question today is not what the state of Tennessee's legislature thinks of it, not what the federal government thinks of it, not what the gambling attributes of the land think of it, but what does God think of it? As we begin this particular matter of discussion, there are a few principles that seem to be so clear from the Bible, and might we ask, how do these principles relate to gambling? First principle is that of stewardship. All throughout the Sacred Scriptures, we are admonished to never forget that it is God who owns all that, of course, is this earth and that which goes with it, and furthermore, that He blesses us with those things that we do have be they our homes, our cars, the jobs that we are able to occupy, be it that money that we have. And all the while, it is, of course, reminded of us to be good stewards of it. Solomon so often pointed that out to us in the Proverbs, didn't he? As we give some thought to the matter of stewardship, what is it that gambling does? That definition earlier made note that it risks money or property in an artificial game of chance. And we each know that in gambling, the odds are always in favor of the house. In other words, the higher the stakes of wager, the more likely it is that you will not win at all. In other words, one is wasting the resources given to him with the full expectation of not winning, the full expectation that one will not come out returning that which in fact was risked or wagered. As you can see, based on this, since the odds are overwhelmingly in favor of losing, and notice how sternly and how quickly those odds go up. For instance, to win the lottery, we can in fact state it statistically like this. It is far more likely to be struck by lightning than it is to win the lottery. And yet one so quickly, perhaps in a convenience store, individuals will pour out that money to purchase and buy one or more lottery tickets. All the while, you're more likely to be struck by lightning than win that. Interesting, isn't it? You'll notice in that some of these features. In the Bible, we see a very opposite perspective than that. God places a demand upon us to use our talents as well as our resources in a way that's wise and in a way that in fact glorifies Him. In Psalm 24, verse 1, "...the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Thus you and I, and that which God has blessed us to have, should be used in a way that glorifies the things that God honors in His book." Consider this passage as well in John 6, verse 13. "...it was on this occasion the Master had just fed 5,000 men, not counting the children and women." And after that took place, and in the aftermath of it, it still is significant that the Lord gathered the leftovers. He was so concerned and so interested in using well that which He had been given, He did not even allow the leftovers to be wasted. Didn't even allow them to in fact be thrown aside and used for no good. Even they were collected. It is fascinating to give some thought to Matthew 25. On that occasion, as the Lord spoke of the five-talent man, the two-talent man, and the one-talent man, it still is amazing, isn't it, that each one with regard to that which he had been given was demanded that he had used it wisely and had more than what he had to show at the beginning. The one-talent man, you remember, presented back what he had been given. That was a no-win but no-lose arrangement either, and the Lord was not satisfied." You should have, in fact, made offer to those in the trade and those who were able to exchange and presented back more than what I presented. What will be the Lord's response then to those who so trivially and frivolously lose so much of the money that they have been blessed to have in an activity like gambling? The principle of stewardship then speaks volumes, doesn't it, that gambling at the very outset is not a wise expenditure, and in fact, it would go against the grain of that which God specifies in His book. Perhaps secondly, what about the basic thought, the mentality that goes with gambling? Is it not that of greed and covetousness? Is it not that of seeking things that are worldly and carnal in character, and often do so with the free expenditure of that which one often has and needs for other things? At some point, visit the Gambler's Anonymous website and listen to the descriptions of some who, in fact, are so addicted to this that they will gamble away the month's rent, gamble away the money needed to put food on the table, gamble away the money that's needed to pay the utility bills. It happens as individuals so quickly and with seemingly such excitement give up that which they need for other purposes what's behind this, the thrill of the moment, the opportunity to win. But isn't all that the heart of this? Gambling risks something of value in this artificial game of chance with the hope, and I should estimate again merely the hope of gaining something else. Some passages and some other thoughts that highlight that would be this. Since gambling is thus based on that matter of greediness, May we put it like this, if there were no greed, if there were no temptation along that line, then would there even be any gambling? It certainly would be far less, wouldn't it? Some verses in the book of God that point us in that direction would be these. Jesus in Matthew 6, 24, in that Sermon on the Mount, He said, Interestingly, and with such force, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It is an absolute impossibility to give one's heart and one's full attention to that which is of God and yet do the same for mammon or money as well. The two simply do not coexist in that regard. God must have the top priority. Besides that passage, consider with me Luke twelve fifteen. The inspired writer there records for us this famous statement from the lips of our Savior. "'Take heed to covetousness,' he said. "'Beware of it, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. "'The worth that is you and the worth that is me is not based upon winning a lottery. "'The money that one may have it's based on that which is inside and emanates therefrom in response.' to the kind of person, integrity, and character that God would have us be. Are we obedient to Him or not? It would seem that gambling thus leads us to notice these other passages. In Colossians 3, 5, We are to put to death covetousness, mortify it. Finally, in Romans 13, Make no provision for the flesh. It would seem this second principle stated in the book of God speaks so much and so often against the mentality that goes along with gambling. But perhaps we should look even further. For in addition to that, consider the work ethic and what gambling seems to speak relative to that. When we make mention of work ethic, of course gambling hopes to gain a lot with little if any investment at all in terms of work. But is that what God's book teaches? In the scriptures we so quickly learn that there are three avenues by which, of course, one could obtain, and that is by the investment of labor and work. Also by way of gift. Someone could bequeath or give something to you and me. And then, of course, there is that possibility of inheriting it. All are spoken of and all are endorsed in the Bible. But yet gambling falls in none of those categories. This is obtaining a lot, perhaps, with no investment at all, and it is no gift by someone who would of freeness provide it. And it also, of course, is not an inheritance either. The Bible, as it speaks about the character of work, started in Proverbs twelve eleven, and says that those who will till the ground will have plenty of bread, but those who do not, in fact, will find themselves in want. Aside from Proverbs, what was it we learn in Ephesians 4.28? And although that passage begins by discussing stealing, let us notice how it ends. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing that is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. So you'll notice that in fact it would seem that stealing would also be in that same category with gambling, given that kind of description, For neither one qualify beneath let him work with his hands a thing that is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Amazingly, we perhaps could also remember in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, that church in Thessalonica was told the following statement. And let us ask how it might relate to what we hear today. A person, sometimes even churches are guilty of gambling as they hold bingo and other things in their back fellowship halls. And so as individuals take place in gambling, it was Paul who said, If any man will not work, neither let him eat. It was reminded to those of that day that it is not appropriate to just idle and fritter away one's time without productive and positive investment, so that ye could use his talents, not frittering it away gambling it, but to in fact use it in a way that would be glory to the God of heaven. In the fourth place, what kind of perspective does gambling demand of us as we give thought to others? The Christian religion is very much interested in that nature of how we look toward others. Jesus demanded of us, did, does he not? Even those that would be our enemies, we love them. We wish for them the best in terms of their welfare. But what does gambling do, let's say, in regard to our approach and our attitude toward other individuals? Consider this way of describing it. Gambling in many ways is exploit, exploitation, meaning that it takes from those often who are not in a position to provide it and in seeks to benefit oneself as a result of it. Those who are suffering beneath the load of not having enough in many instances, nonetheless, even though it's a foolish choice on their part, those who benefit from it are taking from those who are the others. In many places, the Bible, of course, does not endorse exploitation of other people. In Philippians 2, 3, we're admonished to look upon them with an interest to see what good might be done not to take from them. Even in the Old Testament, in Micah, the second chapter, the first half dozen verses or so of that chapter, we remember that God, through Micah, sternly warned and rebuked the children of Israel because they were guilty of exploitation. Taking from others, trying to benefit themselves, filling their own pockets at the expense of somebody else. God said it wasn't to be that way. Amos had to join in that discussion as well in Amos, the eighth chapter, beginning in verse 4. In each of those instances, exploitation of other people is that which is condemned in the Old Testament. What about in the New Testament? Consider with me that text that was read earlier in our hearing this morning. In Mark, the 12th chapter, that passage as well as others, we're told, Love thy neighbor as thyself. Would it be right then to exploit one's neighbor, take advantage of him or her, we understand the answer to that to be no. Every person would understand that. And yet gambling is just an official way of doing the same thing. Isn't it interesting then that as one thinks about that matter of exploitation, it seems to join in a chorus with these other points. And it is to those we can add these. One of the things that maybe our fathers at one point or another tried to teach us was be awful careful of the company that you keep. Because what reputation they have and what kind of individuals they are, whether you engage in it or not, if you are associated with them, if you're not careful, that same reputation may stick to you as well. I wonder about gambling. What kind of company does gambling keep? What is known to go along with it? What kind of things are seemingly always found where gambling is located? Well, here's some thoughts, and it seems this is a very vital thing to appreciate. What kind of company does gambling keep? Certainly, poverty goes with it. Broken homes go with it in terms of divorce and malnourished children and others who are suffering beneath depression and guilt. You might also notice in so many ways drugs... And alcohol go right along with this. What do you think those casinos serve as the primary liquids that go along in refreshment for those gamblers? It isn't lemonade. It's that which impairs their judgment so that they'll be ready to bet a little bit more. And so it is, of course, alcoholic beverages, and that is what is found in these places. In addition, so often sexual incongruities go along with this as well prostitution, this kind of sexual behaviors in which individuals are found for that mentality lends itself to not only that vice of gambling, but the vices and so many other ways that go along with it. In some cases, even the taking of life goes as too much money is bet and cannot be paid back. I've always thought it's a shame that Las Vegas calls itself Sin City. It's clear they don't have any appreciation for what the word sin means. To happily promote oneself as sin city. And yet they do this openly and welcome with open arms all who will come and go down the streets and take advantage of what they offer. Sin city. And yet it's known as the gambling capital of the western part of this country. Isn't it sad to think about the city known as the city of sin? Now admittedly, there are other cities who also seemingly want to use that same moniker, but certainly Las Vegas is one that happily proclaims itself as such. The Bible speaks on many occasions, doesn't it, about again noting the company that goes along, along with a particular behavior. Jesus in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 15, said, By their fruits ye shall know them. Now admittedly, He was speaking about false teachers and the fact of what goes with it. But that principle seems so strongly embedded in the human spirit, doesn't it? We are aware that Paul did say, didn't he, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, evil communications corrupt good manners. And that verse begins by reminding us, don't be deceived by this. Should not then you and I be cautious and careful and mindful as we think about the kind of company that gambling keeps and what goes along with it and what it brings? In fact, it's to be noted from these other verses. Wasn't it Paul who said in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from every appearance of evil? If gambling keeps this kind of company, then ought not one in wisdom abstain and avoid and evade it? In fairness, all of that perhaps points us to this last object to appreciate in this section of the lesson today. These five points have brought us to this one. In the Scriptures, we are reminded that those activities in which we engage should be activities that seek to bring glory and honor to God. We really understand the worship is to do that, Colossians 3.17. But Paul, in fact, used that same principle in 1 Corinthians 10.31, and there he referred to it as eating and drinking. Even common activities like that question as one gambles with regard to a casino, the Tennessee Lottery, or any other place, does that glorify God by the nature of the activity and by the character of what goes along with it? If we cannot answer that clearly and affirmatively, then we must avoid the activity. And here we find, in these five ways we've studied today, the powerful reality that gambling by principle is condemned so overwhelmingly in the Scriptures Now, it's fair to say that as we've looked at that sinful character, here in fact is one final brief set of comments and remarks that you and I can think of. It is amazing, isn't it, how that sometimes the fervor for gambling has begun to creep in in existence in other places. Sometimes now we so often don't think of gambling when we think of other activities such as raffles That particular activity, be they a Rotary Club, a Lions Club, or otherwise, whether they would readily admit it or not, a raffle is just another way to gamble. Now here again, they have a payoff. It may be an object of value, a television or some such thing, a vacation, and individuals happily pay in the hope of winning it. It's the same principle, isn't it, that you and I noted earlier with regard to the actual casinos and the lottery, Sometimes there are these gambling activities that occur in offices. As individuals, perhaps when the NCAA tournament rolls around, they'll gamble. Though they think of it differently, it is still the same. The point that we must be aware of is our world is just overcome in such a way that sometimes it slips into the activities in otherwise innocent ways, but yet it still is the same we are aware that sometimes even churches endorse it as ways to put money into their treasury. They, in fact, in one way or another endorse a raffle or some kind of a bingo or other lottery. Again, it is still the same, isn't it? Care must be exercised then in light of its existence so that we are aware that we do not avoid, that we do not participate, but rather we remember these premises and the principles upon which our study has been based. Others will defend the lottery at least. Maybe not all of gambling, but at least the lottery. And they'll argue that look at the good that comes out of it. Our children are able to go to college on a Hope Scholarship. Sometimes even other schools, elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, benefit from that funding, and thus isn't it good? Shouldn't we happily participate? Because the money is going to a good end. That's an interesting argument. The argument is, you may do evil as long as good comes out of it. We've already learned overwhelmingly that the activity itself is evil. So is that a sound principle of argument? May one do evil as long as good comes out of it? And of course, we know the answer to that to be no. In fact, God must laugh at any such reasoning as that. In Colossians 3.25, in fact, Paul overwhelmingly put it in language like this. I would ask that we read that one. Colossians three twenty five, closing verse to that chapter. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. That's an overwhelmingly simple and yet profound statement, isn't it? He that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong that he hath done. There is no qualification if it does not lead to good. If it does not redound and result in that which is positive, it does not say that. You'll notice also in Romans 3 verses 5 through 8, Paul's whole argument in that opening part of the Roman chapter 3 letter was based on the reality that individuals shall receive for that which they have done, not in light of what resulted or even the potential intent that went with it. Finally, in Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9, just to note that this was not merely a New Testament matter. I think it's rather fascinating that here is Solomon, this individual of the Old Testament, and this is how it reads. Again, Proverbs 30, beginning in verse 7. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of, the, of my God in vain. There's a principle rather interestingly asserted beneath the thrust as a structure to that, to that set of three verses. All the while we've noticed that we certainly mustn't think we can argue. We can do evil just so long as good comes out of it. That is a foolish argument. God is against that which is evil from first to last. Finally, as you'll notice, closing thing on that slide, highlighting again how that argument's an unwise one. I think it does allow us to conclude the lesson like this. Though gambling is highlighted as entertainment, in fact, the gaming industry has as its overseeing council the entertainment gaming industry of America. Fun for many people, but yet we've learned God has a much different viewpoint toward it. We've learned several principles, six of which we listed, and I highlighted them there for you. As we looked at each one of them, everything from covetousness to stewardship to the company it keeps to the character of the work ethic all the way to the failure of its glorification of God, we've concluded that gambling is a sinful activity and one from which we as Christians must happily stay away and in that sense to maintain the character and integrity that God would have us to uphold as citizens of the kingdom of God. Today, as we give thought to that and analyzing our life or even other activities, where do you and I stand before the eyes of our Heavenly Father in looking upon you and me? Is God able with approval to say that his or her conduct and lifestyle is one upon which others can look and conclude a character and integrity that is noble, that is worthy, and that is Christian? Or do they see things in your life or mine, such as gambling or otherwise, that not only call into question our Christianity, but rather assert that at this point we have not chosen to follow in the degree we should the revelation of the Bible. If we could be of assistance to anyone this morning in your response to the gospel, as an alien sinner, you are commanded to first hear the Word of God, the love contained in it, the message of salvation to be found, and then believe it. Believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Following that, confess the sweet name of Jesus as a son of God and then be baptized. Today, we'd be so honored to assist you in that if we could do so. If you have become a Christian but no longer wear that name in a worthy way, perhaps bringing even reproach upon the very church for which Jesus died why not come back to that first love today? And if we could pray upon your behalf, we again would find that an honorable activity inasmuch as God would be so excited to welcome you back home. If we could be of assistance to you today, why not let that be known? Even now, if you would, while together we stand and while we sing.